It's a great day today. And um, yeah, I mean, I'm just saying that because it looks like it is. I, who has been so excited about this weather? Like totally turning around. I mean, we, you know, we always say that. It's like, thank you, Lord, for the rain. You know what I mean? But at some point, you're just like, okay, all right, we're good. You know, and uh, I was just thanking God. You try to thank God for things that you're even not thankful for. Do y'all try to do that? Where you say, like, thank you, Lord, for some more rain, but then, but then you stop and say, but I feel like we're pretty good. Like, if we wanted to let us have, like, a month of reprieve and some sunshine, that would be really something, and we've had a couple nice days. Um, anyway, I'm just, I'm thankful for it. It means a lot to me. I'm an outdoors person. I love to be outside. So my point is, I'm not going to keep you here all day. We're going to uh, have a good morning together in the presence of God and move forward. So um, but let's pray. Lord, thank you for a beautiful day. Thank you for the life you've given us to live. And thank you that we can enjoy it, Lord, one day at a time, one breath. Lord, everything you've given, Lord, we acknowledge as a gift. We're not owed anything, but we receive so much from you. Thank you for your kindness, Lord, and for loving us with an everlasting love. I pray, O oh God, that today, Lord, as we, as we consider your love together, as we experience your love together, as we study it and look at it, Lord, and, and try to understand how to walk in a love relationship with God, I pray that you'd guide us, that you'd let your hand rest on us, that you'd speak to us, and that by the Holy Spirit, Lord, you'd lead us into all truth and into the very presence of God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we've been talking about just how great the love of God is for us. Um, we've been talking about what it means to experience his love uh, like, it, like a baptism of love, like the waves of the love of God washing over us in real experience. Um, and trying to understand, trying to comprehend an incomprehensible love. And you and I have a little context for love because we have, we have the human expression of love. And, and, uh, but you know how, how um, the greatest, the most significant things that exist are the things that tend to get really diminished. You know what I mean? It's like, man, I love Hershey's bars. You know what I mean? And then I say, I also love God. And it's like, well, you love Hershey's bars and you love God, but there's, pro- there's got to be a difference, right? Or there should be, maybe we'd say, between the way I love a Hershey's bar and the way I love God. And because um, he has loved us with an everlasting love. And if you ever told me you loved Hershey's bars with an everlasting love, we'd say, well, you probably have a problem. Something needs to get worked out there. But if you said, I'm, I desire... To, to, to do or to love God the way he deserves to be loved. I desire to love him with all my heart, with all my mind, with all my soul, and with all my strength. And I would say, all right, you know, now you're talking because that's, you know, do you know where that's going to come from? That's going to become, that's going to come from you receiving a love like that, where God poured out into you his love, which was you know, all that he had, all he could give, you know, this incredible experience of, and knowledge of, of the truth of his love. And then that love comes into our hearts. It overflows within us by the Holy Spirit. And then that love begins uh, to come back out. And you know, it's not you loving God with all, you know, in the sense of like you did it. It's more that God has birthed something in you that now you can offer back to him and to others. So today I want to talk about loving God and keeping his commandments. And people consider keeping his commands and uh, obedience to God as unpleasant subjects. 
And I'm just, and the reason I bring that up right off the bat is that um, I, I want us to, I want to really get, get us, if we're there, I want to move us past that to help us to really come to understand the heart of God that's behind the commands. But I want to say this also emphatically and unapologetically, we cannot walk with God if we will not obey him. And our experience of his love will be greatly diminished while we are in disobedience. And, but, in, but then we experience his love tremendously when we repent because that restoration, we realize, I do not deserve. But it was bought for me at the cross. And when I repent and I wash in the blood of Jesus, all the sin that I had walked in through disobedience is washed away. And I can enter the presence of God. And he's not sitting there now going, well, you know, now you wear the scarlet letter forever, okay, because you disobeyed me. No, it's washed away. It's gone. And you're restored into full fellowship. And that's what the love of God is like. Um, So I want to show you that from the beginning, God has been a God who calls us into a covenant of love. And that that covenant is dependent, in so in a, in a, the health of that relationship is dependent on obedience. Let's look at Deuteronomy 7, starting in verse 6. There are several passages like this in the Bible, um, but it's just the revelation of the heart of God. Deuteronomy 7, verse 6. For you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his own possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. The Lord did not set his love on you nor choose you because you were more in number than all the peoples, for you were the fewest of all peoples. But because the Lord loved you and kept the oath which he swore to your forefathers, the Lord brought you out by a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery. From the, how, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Know therefore that the Lord your God, he is God, the faithful God, who keeps his covenant and his loving kindness to a thousandth generation with those who love him and keep his commandments. But he repays those who hate him to their faces to destroy them. This is just another one of those moments of like, let's just, let's just work it out and let's stay with God, okay? But he repays those who hate him to their faces to destroy them. He will not delay with him who hates him, but will repay him to his face. Therefore, you shall keep the commandment and the statutes and the judgments which I am commanding you today to do them. So verse 9, know therefore that the Lord your God, he is God the faithful God who keeps his covenant and his loving kindness to a thousandth generation with those who love him and keep his commandments. So what we have is God choosing a people, calling that people to himself. And and even from the very outset, it's saying right here, he didn't choose you because you were the most numerous people. God wasn't trying to show off by who he chose. Oh, look, I've got this mass of people who all follow me. God was, it wasn't, he wasn't doing something that was going to be an immediate benefit to himself. He was simply saying, I've loved you. I loved your fathers. I made a promise, and I'm never going to turn away from it forever. So when the children of those fathers he had made the original promise to, the promise was for them and for their children. When the children of, of the fathers who had received the promise ended up in the house of slavery, God said, well, I'm not going to leave them there. I'm going to bring them out. 
And so he brought the whole nation of Israel out and he's commissioning them. This is Deuteronomy, which the word Deuteronomy means repetition in the law, which means you've heard the law, but here's the reminder. And the reason Deuteronomy is important is because they are headed into the, the promised land. This was the ceiling and the reminder of like, you've got to walk in the law of God because you're about to inherit this promise. You're going to have to take this land inch by inch, but this is your inheritance. And so when you get there, remember the law of your God. And, but notice how he addresses the law and the commandments in the context of covenant relationship. And this is what I want us to really understand about God. For God, commandments and obedience are not about just getting you to robotically do whatever he says. Commandments and obedience are simply the things that are required for you to go on in a relationship with him. God wanted that at the beginning, and then he brought it through in the new covenant and established it, and we're going to see it in just a little bit, that even in the new covenant, that obedience and and keeping his commands are essential because the relationship cannot exist if we are in defiance of his will. And you think about how hard it is, you know, it's like you might love somebody. In fact, there's people that you do love. There's people we love and you have experiences with, but this is a situation where there's authority established, and God is the authority. He is the head over all. And so everybody who's under his authority, all of his people, are in in a situation where the relationship is dependent on obedience because God is in charge. And it's kind of like if you were at work. You go to your job, and your boss says, hey, um, we've got to work on this project, and I need a report. We need to do like a preliminary assessment, and I need you to put it together. And I need that by the end of the week so that we can move on to the next thing. And then, and you said to your boss, well, here's the trouble. I just don't want to do that. Do you think that your, your boss is going to look at you and go, you know what, man? Just the love I feel for you right now is so immense that I just want to say, that's fine. Like, that's fine. I'll find somebody else to do it. I mean, that would be remarkable, right, if that happened. But your boss is going to be like, say what? I'm sorry, what? No, I'm sorry. Listen, I'm, the, I'm your boss, and you work for me. And when I give you a command, it needs to happen. But what's he, what's he really trying to do? He's really trying to move the whole business forward. He's got a much bigger picture thing going on, and you're playing a little part in that, and your obedience matters. Like, you need to do what he, what's been asked of you because other people are depending on you. And this assessment that you're going to do might create a project that lots of people are going to work on, which is job security. So there's this whole thing that's unfolding, and you're just playing a little part of it. But... So suppose if that happens once, they might be able to work it out. If it happens twice, we've got a problem. Three times, you're probably gone. And that's because the whole, everything breaks down when those, or when those order structures that are established are broken. And not only that, if maybe you and your boss were friends, you're not going to be able to even have a friendship if you're constantly defying them. Isn't that just, isn't that just how it works? Parents and children experience the same thing. It's like, Man, it doesn't mean that when parents um, give a command or an order or something or say, well, this is what we want you to do to to our kids, that our kids always understand why it matters. You know what I mean? Many times they can't see the value or the point in what's being asked of them. But if if there becomes a pattern of established defiance, the relationship starts to break down. And so order, from God's perspective, really matters. And why it matters so much is because relationships become impossible when there's 
um, rebellion. And so God is, um, he's a relational God. But he, and he, knows, he knows the way things works, work, and he's calling us into it, and he wants us to experience the majesty of what it is to be in a love relationship with covenant promises with him. And, um, but he says the way, what this whole thing is going to hang on is whether or not you, my people, will be willing to do the things that I say. But, but like I said, so, so I'm building, I'm setting this up, trying to help you see the big picture side of it. And we're going to look at the heart behind the commands because that's where everything starts to come together for us. And I think it removes a lot of the obstacles that we feel within ourselves toward obedience. So we'll get there. So God is establishing his covenant with his people. His covenant is a covenant of love, which means we are under the canopy of his loving kindness. That's the way to think of covenant. Covenant is God says, you're in this covenant with me? Well, here, here's a world where, tr- where trouble is falling like rain all around you. But I'll put up this umbrella that I call my loving kindness, and you can come up underneath it and be safe. Not that you'll never experience trouble, of course, but, but you have a, a safe, you have a refuge to run to. And so the canopy of his loving kindness is there. And God's never going to take the canopy down. And he's never going to shut you out. But what we do is when I say, well, God, I really like this, this whole thing you've got set up for us right here, but these things you're telling me to do, I'm just really not into it. And so when we start to disobey God, we go out from under the canopy. I put my, here's the protection. It's not going away. That's the eternal nature of the covenant of God. That's how committed he is to the whole thing. He's like, this canopy is here and it's always for you. But when we disobey, we leave the protection of the covering of his loving kindness. God's covenant of love, he says, will continue forever if the people will only love him in return and show it in one particular way by listening to his word and obeying him. And as I've mentioned in prior messages, there was a time before there was even a law written and God said, here's what I'm telling you, listen to my voice. Listen to my voice. You haven't got a a law book to read or study. You don't have commandments, anything yet. But here's what I need from you. Listen to my voice and do the things that I say. In God's eyes, and we just saw this in this passage, love is demonstrated by obedience. In other words, the proof that we love him is that we obey him. But hatred, he said, repaying those who hate him, hatred is shown by disregard for his commands because his commands are the terms of the covenant. And I'll I'll explain what I mean by that in just a minute, but hatred seems like such a strong word, doesn't it? Hatred. But it's kind of like, well, let's let's just look at it and, and examine it for what it is. If somebody looks you right in the eye and says, the things you value, I don't value. The things you tell me, I will not do. And I don't care how important it is to you. I'm putting it at a zero importance level in my own life, and I'm doing whatever I want. That's pretty far from the opposite of love, isn't it? You know what I mean? It's, pretty, it's about the opposite. It's about the, on, the, on the spectrum between love and hatred. You know, they're pretty well at opposite ends. Because if, like if, if, if a parent speaks to their child and says, and says, I really need you to do this, and the child says, you know what, mom or dad, I understand that this is something that you value. And so I'm going to let it be one of my values. I mean, guys, this is like the dream, right? (laughs) It's the dream. I value what you value. I know you love me. 
And I, don't ever, I wouldn't ever want to do anything to hurt this relationship. You know, and the command was take out the garbage. I wouldn't want to do it. And they're giving you a lecture, a speech. It's like, this is like a, a, anyway. I would never want to do anything to hurt this relationship. So if it's important to you, it's important to me. Show me where the garbage bags are, and I'm going to get this done. It sounds almost ridiculous if you talk about taking out the garbage, but you know what? The point is, that is a demonstration of love. The obedience is a demonstration of love. I care about you, and I care about this relationship, so I'm not going to wreck the relationship by disobeying you, especially not over something as ridiculous as taking out the garbage. I keep using that as an illustration. It must matter to me that the garbage gets taken out, you know, anyway. But, but that's, that's kind of what it's like. And so um, his commands are the terms of the covenant. God says, if you will, then I will. If you will, then I will. That's the way the covenant was set up. It's if, then. If, then. If, then. If, then. And so people are all the time saying, well, where's the promise of God? You know, well, I didn't get what God said. You know, I didn't, God's not being fair with me. And it's like, well, hold on a second. Have you upheld the terms of the covenant? If you will, then I will. And how much we value, you know, the relationship, how much we value um, what somebody says, it really is an indicator of, of what the quality of our love for them. And uh, if you think about even a marriage covenant, if you were standing at the altar taking the vows, you know what I mean? And the, and the guys say, you know, repeat after me. And he says, for richer or for poorer? You know, and all of a sudden you say, oh, wait, wait, hold on a second. How much poorer? We're talking like a lot poorer? Oh, well, okay, well, let's, okay, you're richer or poor. Sickness and in health. Ooh, how sick? You know, would, what's good? I mean, with that played out at the altar, there would be a real question about the quality of the love, wouldn't there be? Right? And so you go down through the whole, forsaking all others. All others? Yeah, all others. That's the only way this relationship works, right? And if we break the terms of the covenant, the whole thing breaks down. So you can see, when God says, like, those who love me keep my commands, you can see why it matters. These things are connected to each other. The quality of of the love and whether or not the commitment is there is all demonstrated by whether or not we're willing to work within the framework that God has put out there. <clears throat> so we may be tempted to say, well, thank God that was the old covenant. We're in a covenant of grace now and God's love is unconditional. Well, those things are true. But if the conclusion you would draw from that is that obedience is not important anymore, I would say quite to the contrary. Because in this guy, maybe you've heard of him, his name's Jesus. He pops up in the New Testament. Significant figure, by the way. John, in John 14, 15, he said to his own disciples, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Where, where do you think he heard that? Oh, I don't know, what, from his father in heaven. This is, Jesus was well familiar with the only way relationships with God work. It's, and you, there are a lot of things that change from the Old Covenant to the New Covenant to the point that the writer of Hebrews says the Old Covenant is expiring and passing away. I mean, to, to that degree. And, but but so many things did not change, and one of the things that did not change is God himself. And it remains true that from the Old Covenant to the New Covenant, to be in a relationship with God, obedience to his commands is central because it, it, will, it will determine whether or not the relationship can be healthy. Now, I'm not talking about obedience so that you can be saved or, or, or try to like, 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 get you, like keep, try to keep your salvation. There's people who are so worried. It's like if I ever, you know, it, you're, not, you're not getting your salvation by, through your obedience, okay? 
there was one who obeyed God perfectly. And your faith in him is what saves you. So to keep everything in the right context, but to go on in relationship with God, you have to keep his commands. Does this make sense? <clears throat> Jesus said in Luke 6, 46, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? The, the, the trouble with God, and he just won't budge on this point, is he just always lives in reality. So when he hears somebody saying to him, Lord, Lord, and he, says, and he looks down into our life and sees that we rarely do what he says, he says, I think you should stop calling me that or else change the way that you obey me. Because we need to deal in truth here, because that's the only commodity that, that God deals in is truth. And Lord means one who is in charge of all. And so he says, why do you call me the one who's in charge of everything, whose authority is absolute and supreme? Why do you say that to me? When I speak to you, you say, not interested, and walk the other way. And this is the new covenant, in the new covenant. So I'll say this, in truth, there is a major difference. I want to be fair about this, in the commands of the new covenant. And this is what we have to understand. The, command, the new covenant is not a new version of the law. This is very important to understand. because, And this is where many of the great fallacies of the, in New Testament churches, a lot of the things that really go wrong in New Testament churches come from people pulling a verse out of the New Testament and treating it like it was written in stone in the, in the Ten Commandments and saying, everybody's got to do it, and they've got to do it this way. And it's very rigid. And, and I just, the one example that I like to use is, is the Great Commission. Michael talked about the Great Commission just a moment ago. And everybody says, okay, here it is, the Great Commission. Everybody's got to sell everything that you have, and you've got to leave the country that you live in now and go live in another country where you will preach the gospel to people who either have never heard or rarely heard or whatever the situation is. And you realize what an incredible destabilization would occur if everyone did that. Because what does it mean to send somebody if everybody goes? Who sends? And who sends the money to the people who go? And you understand what I mean. But there are people who are so legalistic, they say, well, absolutely, without question. If, and here's the point. Every one of us is supposed to fulfill the Great Commission in our own sphere or in another sphere. Jesus said, you do it locally, you do it in the county, you do it in the region, and some of you will even go to the farthest ends of the earth. But he didn't say everybody was going to. He said, this is what it's going to look like as it plays itself out. Peter stayed in Jerusalem, as far as we know, until the day of his death. And that's where he preached the gospel, but others went all over the place. And so the point is, you can be legalistic about it and miss the point. The new covenant is different, and here's the difference. Jeremiah 31, 33 this is the covenant which I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law where? Within them. And on their heart, I will write it. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. The meaning of this is the commands are now written on tablets of human hearts rather than tablets of stone. We must follow the promptings of the Holy Spirit as he helps us navigate the word of God. Meaning, God's commandments are now a living and an interactive experience with God. It's a relationship. And so God is, so you'll read something in the Bible and you'll say, 
Lord, I'm seeing this, and this is apparently is important to you. What does it look like in my life? And he says, and you, and you might say, well, somebody at church today told me I should quit my job, sell everything I have, and go to, you know, whatever country. And the Lord's, and you say, but Lord, what do you have to say about it? And God says, you have a job, right? Yeah, I do, Lord. Well, are there lost people at work? Yeah, in fact, everybody. <laughs> uh, okay, well, it sounds to me like you, have, uh, been, you are in a mission field currently. Right now, this is just all about your mindset changing about what you're supposed to do while you're at work. And so God begins to guide us and say, that's how I want you to do it. But then if you go out there and say, hey, listen, guys, forget this missionary stuff. Everybody just minister at your job. Well, you're wrong too. Because he, God gets, he reserves the right to write his law on each person's heart. He's going to guide your life. He's going to show you exactly what he wants it to look like. And he's going to lead you. But guess what? You've got to stay in the interactive relationship with him. You don't get to shut out. You don't get to write things on tablets of stone. We're always trying to do it. At heart, there's a little bit of legalism in every single one of us. And some of us, there's a lot. We're always looking for, okay, okay, well, God did that. So let's say he always does that. And let's make a pattern out of it. And we'll write it down and we'll tell everybody to do it. Okay, we're figuring it out. We're learning to walk by faith. It's like, no, no, no. That's so backwards, you can't even comprehend. We've got to be learning to live by faith, which means being led by the Holy Spirit. And so God's going to show us what it looks like. And it's going to look different in everybody's life because God is super creative. And he's the origin of actual diversity. Like he loves to see it work out differently in everybody's life. And he's like, I'm going to just tailor this to each individual person. And that's what it's going to be like to walk in my commands. So can you see how he's calling you into something? It's the adventure of a life lived by faith, that God wants you to know what it's like. But if you get into that stubborn place of telling him no all the time, then suddenly it gets kind of quiet. And all that direction that God would like to give you, the things he wants to show you, he keeps speaking, you keep saying no. He keeps speaking, you keep saying no. He keeps speaking, you keep saying no. Well, then God kind of just goes quiet for a while, and then he kind of waits. Well, when you're ready to obey me, then you come, and we'll heal the relationship, and we'll move forward from here. <clears throat> He's writing it on tablets of human hearts. A covenant is a two-party agreement. There can be more than two parties in a covenant, but generally, two-party agreement. You cannot be in a covenant of love with God if the love is not reciprocated. We are in, we're violating the terms of the covenant. And to be clear, I mentioned this earlier, our salvation is secured in Christ. But for us to be in a healthy relationship with God, we all must do our part. We participate. There's no such thing as a, one, as a relationship where one person does everything and the other person just kind of hangs around, sits, sits there, does nothing, or resists everything that the other person does. At least that would be the worst imaginable relationship, wouldn't it? Think about it in your human relationships. What would that be like? Some of you have probably been in a relationship before where you had, where if, if anything happened, it happened only because you made it happen. And then eventually you stopped and said to yourself, why am I doing this? Why am I trying? They evidently do not care. And then you made whatever decision you made. But God wants to find us in a place where he speaks to us and his word stirs us. And he sees it in our face and in our countenance and in our eyes. 
God sees it. He sees the heart before he sees the outward appearance. And, and he sees that when he speaks to us, it stirs us and we say, God, if it's important to you, it's important to me. And it's true. I don't understand. And it's also true. I'm a little bit scared about obeying you in this. <laughs> but because it's important to you, I'm going to take, I'm going to let your values be my values and I'm going to take a step forward. Deuteronomy 12. Oh, yeah, it helps us. So this is what I want to show you. It helps us if we understand what motivates God to give commands and requiring us to keep them. It helps us if we understand what motivates him, what his heart is. In Deuteronomy 10, 12, and 13, God says, Now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require from you? But to fear the Lord your God, to walk in his ways and love him, and to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and your soul, and to keep the Lord's commands and his statutes, which I am commanding you today. What are those three words? For your good. So the first thing that you need to settle in your heart about God is that if he ever tells you to do anything, if he ever says something is important and it's important that you walk in it, God has your good and I would say your best in mind. Everything that God commands his children to do is for their good. And you need to know that. One of the things that I really want to take on in this message is the idea, because this is just low-hanging fruit, um, that, that God is a hard master. When people want to dismiss God and when they don't want to obey or, or, or they don't want to take any risks because faith is always risky, um, they, they just say, oh, well, God's a hard master. God's mean. He, he asks things of me. He doesn't ask of anybody else. I'm suffering in a way nobody else suffers and all these things. And, you know, this, you go back and look. The phrase hard master comes from the parable of the talents. And the one who buried his talent, who did nothing with what was given him, was the one who told himself in his heart that God was a hard master demanding a crop where he hadn't sown any seed. Because who could have a crop if there wasn't any seed sown? The idea that God did nothing and then demanded something. Does that sound like God? That God, God does nothing and then demands something? No, it's the opposite is true. God does everything and then asks you for just a little bit. He asks you for just a little obedience, just a little demonstration of love. You can think about your income. God gives you 100% and he says, would you consider giving 10 percent to the kingdom of God. And it's like, we, you know, God gives everything and asks just a little of us. And this is the thing that we really have to, God is not a hard master. He is kind and loving and compassionate and he understands. And the only way that you and I ever really get through to the full experience of his goodness is by obeying him and watching what happens. Because when you get into an attitude, into a habit of obedience, the relationship gets very healthy between us and God. And then you also get to see the fruit bear out. And the fruit, guess what? Most of the fruit of obedience is joy. A lot of it. There are things where that are just hard. And you go to the end of it and you go, what was that? I don't know. That was hard, but I obeyed God, I think. Do you know what I mean? We've had moments like that. But so much of obedience, you get to see, God, you know, God had really, he'd really, he had already done everything. He'd really done all the legwork in the background. And all you did was step in and kind of just finish the deal. And um, that brings great joy to us to get to see those kind of things happen. But his commands are for our good. So first of all, God's commands, <clears throat> they function as the fences that keep us from the dangers of life. It's the puppy, the fence, and the highway. If you live on a highway, as I do, um, and you have a puppy, a new puppy, 
Well, you can say to yourself, this puppy had sure better start obeying me right now because there's a bunch of cars zipping by right out there. And you can set the puppy down and you can let the puppy run and you can just see what happens. You could do that. But the puppy's a puppy and he doesn't know anything. He doesn't know your voice. He doesn't know how to obey you. He's not even that interested in obeying you. But he really wants to go see what's down by the road. And so it would not be loving of you to set the puppy down and say, that puppy had sure better get his, get his life in order. That's the hard master attitude that we have toward God, that that's what God did. He gave me no help, no nothing. He just put me out there and just left me there. That, and, and then I got myself into a bunch of trouble, but actually it wasn't my fault because God just kind of let, let me, you know, he, where was God? That's the way some people think about God. But what God does is he says, we've got a puppy. The puppy's coming home next week. And so uh, we're going to put a fence in this week. And so the commands of God are the fence. God puts a fence in, and he says, these things will keep the puppy safe. And then you come home, and he lets the puppy go in the yard, and the puppy's just as wild and free as it ever was. And he running all around the yard, and guess what he does? He wants to find out where the limits are. So he runs out to the fences. But the fences keep him from harming himself while he's figuring this whole thing out. And then inside the confines of that fence, the master trains the puppy and begins to teach it and cleans up after it, right? And does all the things that need to happen until the puppy knows his voice, until the puppy knows who's the master and who's what, learns how to do a few tricks, right? Because that's always exciting. But he's not going to set up an environment where he can run to disaster. He's going to build the fence, and then he's going to work with him and build that relationship inside the fence. And that's what the commands of God are. They're for your good. And he put up the fence, not because he hates you and doesn't want you to have any fun, but because he knows that if you get what you want without the knowledge that you need to navigate life with wisdom, you're going to run into the highway and bad things happen in the highway. <clears throat> so this is for your good. That's, that's what you have to understand. The commands are for our good. It's the puppy, the fence, and the highway. The next thing is the commands of God secure the blessing of God. Remember I said earlier, if you will, then I will. That means you fulfill the thing that God asked of you, that's obedience, and then you have now become a candidate for the fulfillment of a promise. Through your obedience, you will experience the blessings of God. Let me show you just a couple simple examples of this. John 15, 9 and 10, Jesus said, Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Is that an incredible statement, by the way? Just as the Father has loved me, Jesus said, I have loved you. But now look what he says right after this. Abide in my love. The word abide means remain. He says, look, you guys are experiencing a perfect love right now. I'm just a, I'm a channel by which my Father, my Father is loving me, and I'm loving you just the same way I'm receiving love from my Father. And Jesus said, don't take it for granted. Don't walk, don't walk out from under the canopy. Don't realize what you have. And don't just walk away. And then he tells them exactly how this is supposed to happen. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Is that not exactly what we've been talking about? The relationship will be preserved. You obey me and you'll stay under the safety. You'll stay under the umbrella of my protection, my care, and my loving kindness. And Jesus says, just as I have kept my Father's commandments, I've been that example in your life and abide in his love.
Jesus said, I'm not asking of you anything I don't do myself. Every minute that Jesus walked on the earth, he, he, was, he was keeping his Father's commandments and remaining in his Father's love. And so understand, when he says abide in my love, it doesn't, it doesn't mean like you can, you know, if you, if you disobey one time, all bets are off, and now, you know, your soul is eternally condemned. That's not what he's talking about. He's saying, preserve this. Don't take this lightly. This relationship is, and the way that God loves you is unparalleled in, in all of life, in all eternity. There is nothing like this love. Don't take it for granted. Don't say to yourself, well, because his love is so great toward me, I can just do whatever I want. Oh, well, he'll forgive me. That's what, you know, Paul talked about, the abuses of grace. The abuses of grace. How somebody might say grace is so great that I can get away with all kind of stuff. Well, it's true that he will forgive you when you come back in repentant, but what you have lost in the meantime is that relationship. You have destroyed the relationship with God. Somebody said trust is the most valuable commodity in the world because it, it takes a year it takes years to earn it, and it can be lost in an instant. And that's true in relationships, that trust is one of the hardest things to regain. And look, God looks at our hearts, and he restores us through Jesus. But think about it like a relationship you have with anybody else that you know, who you're going to have to look in the eyes every day. It really matters that we walk uprightly and do the things that God is asking us to do. And Jesus said, that's the way that we abide in his love. John 15, also, verse, also John 15, verse 12, John, Jesus said, this is my commandment, that you love one another. And how should they love one another? Jesus said, just as I've loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. And Jesus says, you are my friends, if you do what I command you. Is he saying you, you can earn his friendship? No, he's saying, I'm giving you my friendship freely and you will continue in friendship with me if you do the things that I command. Because Jesus was their friend. and Friend is like a peer-to-peer type of thing, but he was also their Lord. And so they had to, that's a hard thing to balance sometimes, right? When somebody re- treats you in a friendly way, but they're, in, but they're also over you in some sense. And that's what Jesus was with them. And he said, you enjoy the friendship, don't you? And his disciples were like, yeah, it's incredible. We get to walk with you. And Jesus said, yeah, well, let's hold on to it then. Never fail to do the things I tell you to do. Because I'm your Lord and master and your friend. And I don't, I don't want to lose the friendship either. So let's hold on to it. And you continue in my love in this way. Most of the blessings of God come in the form of rewards for keeping his commands. And not least of all, the friendship of God and the grace to live always under the canopy of his love. So I want you just to see that God loves you. You know, people say God loves you and has a, has a wonderful plan for your life. And that's become like a cliche in the church. But that is, that's true. He loves you and has a plan for your life. But we can't ever turn away from the fact that he is God. And when he speaks, it means something. And our obedience is, is the thing by which we stay under the canopy of his protection and care. I want to just show you a couple of others. These are just bonuses. These are throw-ins that he gives us. 
Psalm 119, 98 and 99, David said, Your commandments make me wiser than my enemies, for they are ever mine. Would you like to be wiser than your enemies? Do you have enemies? That's a harder question to answer sometimes. It's like, yeah, there's some people I think who'd like to see me go down. Would you like to be wiser than them? The correct answer to this is yes, I would. Um, Well, he says the commandments of God make him wiser than his enemies. And he had legit enemies who wanted to literally like cut his head off and throw his body out in the street kind of thing. I have more insight than all my teachers, David said, for your testimonies are my meditation. Would you like to have more insight than all your teachers? That sounds a little arrogant, but sure, the answer is yes. I mean, to be honest, I'd like to, would you like to have surpassing insight? You know, when Jesus showed up on the scene teaching, they said, where'd this guy get all this wisdom? Because he's wiser than all our teachers. Well, the testimonies of God were his meditation. And he was receiving by the Holy Spirit insight and wisdom all the time. And they're like, well, he never had formal education. How does he have wisdom? And the answer was, he lived in the word of God. He, he meditated and he was obedient to the things that he read there. And Jesus even taught them. He said, he said you guys want to know the difference in a teaching of man and a teaching of God? He said, because people were saying, these aren't the teachings of God. Jesus said, if anyone is willing to do his will, he will know of the doctrine, whether it is of man or whether it is of God. He said the key to understanding doctrine and truth and teaching is whether or not you're obedient to it. He said obedience unlocks understanding. And so if you want to understand more, begin to obey more. Because God will unlock your understanding to the degree to which you obey him and keep his commands. These are throw-ins, like bonuses, you know what I mean? And this is the, this is the glory. You, start, you begin to obey God and keep his commands. The relationship is, is clean and it's right. And then you start to find out there's all these perks. There's all these packages that are included in this arrangement. Like it's, it's glorious, you know what I mean? Psalm 1, 1 through 4, really, I think, captures the heart of God in his goodness toward us with his commands. It says, how blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. Why doesn't he walk in the counsel of the wicked? Well, well, because God said not to. God said not to. The wicked person might have something that sounds like wisdom, but God said, don't listen to his counsel. Nor stand in the path of sinners, but they invited me to the party. God says, don't go. Why? Because God said not to, and that's the whole reason. Nor sit in the seat of scoffers. He says, how blessed is the man who does not do these things because simply he's keeping commands. But verse 2 tells us where he gets his understanding from. His delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates day and night. This is somebody who's serious about keeping God's commands, isn't it? Because look, if you're going to keep his commands, you've got to know what they are. Because the commands are revealing to you all the time the heart of your Father in heaven. You want to love what he loves, hate what he hates. You want to share in his values. In his law, he meditates day and night. He will be like the person who does this, a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In whatever he does, he prospers. You guys hear that? Does that sound like a bonus? Like you obey God, he says don't, you don't. He says do, you do. And now you're starting to experience like, hey, it's like my roots are going down, and it's like there's always water. It's I'm constantly being fed. And it's like my fruit's being born out all the time. And the things I put my hand to are succeeding. And then he says in verse 4, just so you understand, this isn't the normal experience of everyone. The wicked are not so. 
but they are like the chaff which the wind drives away. And he goes on to describe the wicked. But can you see that your Father in heaven wants you to be that tree? And he does not want you to be the chaff that's driven away by the wind. But if you disobey the commands of God, you will reap the reward of the wicked and you will experience. I'm not talking about damnation, okay? I'm talking about you experiencing trouble and hardship and the collapse of your dreams and all these things because you just wouldn't listen to the voice of God. But you begin to obey him and you begin to see the blessing and the benefit because he wants you to be like this tree. He wants to pour out goodness in your life. So I'd say before we accuse the lawgiver and judge of being hard and unyielding, have we considered his heart toward us in the command? I would say to children who struggle with their parents' commands, have you ever stopped for just a minute and said, well, why are they asking this of me? What's their heart in this? Do they they really want to hurt me? Do they want to take away something that matters to me? Or, do, or are they trying to, or is there something else going on here? And if you can't get an answer asking that question within yourself, well, then ask them. Because they'd be happy. They would be absolutely delighted to tell you what was the heart behind what they're asking of you. But I'm just saying, this is, these are just examples of ways that we can consider all of this. But with God, have you considered his heart toward you in the command? Because he, there's, a good, there's, there's a desire for goodness, good things that he wants to do in your life. He either wants to protect you from something or he wants to put a blessing into your life. And the, and the only way that you and I will ever find out what all that is is by simply saying, if it's important to you, it's important to me. So yes, Father, I'll obey. Let's stand up together. David said the law of God was sweeter than honey to his taste. That's somebody who's having a different experience of commands, isn't it? Sweeter than honey to his taste. And so I would say his law is life to us because it reveals the heart of God. If we love him, we will keep his commands. Amen? Amen. We're entering our ministry time now, and I want to just say if you are, the prayer team could come on up. If you, need to, if you need to be with God, if you need to lay some things down, if you need to pick some things up, you know, commands have that kind of effect. Of, sometimes God is saying, I want you to pick this up. I've been asking something of you for a while, and it's time for you to secure this and obey me. I want to just encourage you to really let God search your heart right now. And if he brings something to light in which you have been disobeying him, well, the blood of Jesus is fully available to us now. And like I said before, you're not going to wear a scarlet letter. When you're cleansed and forgiven, you are forgiven and restored fully and loved, no less than you were loved before. But, but with sin removed, the relationship is fully restored. So let him show you the ways you've been disobedient. Wash in the blood of Jesus. Lay those things down and tell God. Speak to him. Look at him with the eyes of faith and say, Father, I will obey you in this. And if there's something that hasn't been as much about disobedience, but maybe more um, that God's been calling you to something. Well, I guess that's disobedience too. But he's been calling you into something and you've just been saying no. I think it's time to say yes. Can we, can we agree with that? It's time to say yes. So ask the Lord or show you those things. And whatever it is, agree with God and say, if it's important to you, it's important to me. And I will walk in it by your grace. Lord God, bless the church now.
Bless us, Jesus, we pray. We want to walk in your commands. We want to know the love of God. And we want to love you, Lord, in a way that honors you. Thank you for calling us out of darkness and putting us under your covering. And I pray now, Lord, that we would, <laughs> that we would not flee. That we not flee from you, Lord. You are our refuge. The righteous run into you and are safe. And I pray, God, that you'd guide us, lead us as we go here, as we, go, um, as we walk with you, Lord. Show us very specifically if we've been obeying, disobeying. And I just pray that you would affirm and confirm, Lord, your word to us. Wash us in the blood of Jesus and restore us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Mm-hmm.